0: workout just uh coming up here. This is a heavy table. And Ed's not a big guy. I hope you don't make him carry that cuz he's he's just a little guy. He he looked so excited for that meeting. <laughs> My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill down in the uh, Milwaukee Oak Grove area and uh, We're also part of the Pacific Conference of Churches. In fact, along with Oregon City, we were one of the founding churches of the Pacific Conference. And I came to Faith on Hill just around the same time that Pastor Ed came here. And my theory is that the conference felt like they had a deficit of pale, red-bearded men in the conference, and so they needed more pale, red-bearded men, and they got me and Ed. If you have a Bible... Yeah, you just got that joke. If you have a Bible, open to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So, if you don't know who I am, which there's no reason you should, uh, my my wife and I both grew up in Seattle. I was uh, pastoring in the UK for about five years, and uh, then I came back. And while I was still serving in churches, I, I got into grocery store management. That was my gig. And then the Lord brought me back into full-time uh, staff work for churches. And uh, my wife and I served at um, churches in Washington, California. And then we came here uh, to Oregon. And we loved being here. Now, you guys are talking about the grace of God. And I love talking about the grace of God. Might be my favorite thing to talk about. 1 Corinthians... Chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. There, uh, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for, excuse me, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The Jews demand a sign and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is God's word. We ask God that he would give us the ability, the power, the humility to surrender to it. Amen? Amen? I love baseball. I love baseball. One of the reasons I love baseball is that a guy that looks like me can play baseball. Have you ever seen some of those pitchers? You know, they're not athletes. They're just up there throwing a ball. Somebody, yeah, yeah, you got that joke. So I went to a pickles game this last week. In fact, it was my first pickles game. And uh, my kids had a great time. Um, if you've never been, the outfield is just picnic tables. And we had one of those outfield picnic tables. And uh, so, you know, the, the, the mascot came walking by, and my kids were so excited. It's like, I don't even need to take them to Disneyland. I just take them to a Pickles game, and they think it's the same thing, right? This is great, much cheaper. But I love baseball, so I'm there watching, actually watching the game and... Um, now, the, the Portland Pickles, I'm glad to say, trounced the Walla Walla sweets, <laughs> trounced them. And so we're watching the game, but one of the things that's interesting to me, uh, I'm a big Mariners fan, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of games at T-Mobile Park. I'm now a Pickles fan, apparently, so I'm going to go to more games at Walker Stadium, and uh, I, I love watching baseball, but I don't know if you've ever been to a baseball game and you've seen this where somebody is sitting there with a book in their lap. You ever seen that? They're keeping score. And there are people, there are baseball fans who have shelves of all the games at, at, the, at the stadium that they've kept score at. And then, you know, we, we watch uh, the Mariners games at home. A lot of times I, I get in about the sixth inning after my kids have gone to bed. And uh, the guy on on the call will say, you know, for those keeping score at home, that was an E6. I don't know what that means, but it means something to the scorekeepers. But there is a scorecard that they're using to keep track of the game. The world has a scorecard. Paul talks about it in verse 18, the wisdom, the wisdom of the world that's the scorecard that everyone is using we determine whether somebody is doing good in the world or bad in the world we determine whether things are going well or things are going poorly based off of this sometimes spoken oftentimes unspoken scorecard that the world has and then he says it's not just this unspoken scorecard but there are people that give you commentary on it. He's talking about influencers. And in Paul's day, he says what? He says in verse 20, the wise person, the teacher of the law, the philosopher of this age. So he's describing uh, people who are sort of poets. I mean, he's literally, he says the philosopher of the age, he might literally be talking about like Plato, Socrates, those kind of folks, the teacher of the law, those who are very learned in religious lore, in knowledge, in history. Influencers in our day aren't quite the same. I mean, yes, we have all of those kind of things. We have philosophers and we have scholars and all that, but let's be honest. Somebody, somebody on, on YouTube who's filming videos of themselves you know, blowing up different types of fruit But they've got like a million followers. And so companies give them advertising because they have influence. And then there's more serious influencers. Like, there are people who know nothing about science, but if Neil deGrasse Tyson says it, it's truth. There are people who, uh, I don't know, this is obviously not you, this is just my church, but they will come on a Sunday morning angry about something that they saw on the news. And what's funny is there are some Sunday mornings where, depending on the person, they're both angry about the same thing from very different points of view, because one person's watching Fox and one person's watching CNBC, and they're just telling everybody to be angry at everybody else, because they're influencing. So all of us have these influencers speaking into our lives, podcasts, blogs, books, some of them Christians, some of them not. I mean, even Christians, Pastor Matt and I were talking this week, and... We were talking about a a theologian that both of us enjoy their writings, but there's a tendency to say, oh, well, they said it, so it must be true. I read it in this book. What was that book? This book? Then it, it can be questioned. Paul's saying that there are influencers and the world has a scorecard that determines right and wrong, that determines good and bad, that determines progress and going backwards. But then he says, how do we define the world? Now, that's interesting to me. Verse 22. He says, both the Jew and the Gentile. And I think if we're trying to modernize what Paul is saying, like bring it up to 2021, it would be fair to say that Paul is talking about both the religious person and the irreligious person. The person who is a very moral person, according to the world standards, and a person who just doesn't care about anything. And they're, you know, they're out making far different YouTube videos than the guy blowing up different kinds of fruit, right? Like, the, there, there are people, both religious and irreligious, both moral and immoral, or with no sense of morality. Let me suggest this. If our definition of the world doesn't include both the religious and the secular, we're going to have an incomplete picture. A lot of times when Christians talk about the world, right, we mean Hollywood, we, we mean um, secular philosophers, we, we mean something other than people who reject Jesus but claim morality or religion. But Paul's lumping them all together. He's saying, hey, the religious person wants a sign, the irreligious person, what does he say here in verse 20, looks for wisdom. But it's not the wisdom of God, it's the wisdom of the world. And think about the people who are furthest from God. The people who are furthest from God are often the content, the self-righteous, and the arrogant. The person who's content because they are a religious person. They're a spiritual person. They're a moral person. I don't need Jesus to forgive my sins. I haven't done anything wrong. You ever met somebody like that? You ever been somebody like that? Maybe you're sitting next to the person who's somebody like that? There's, there's that sort of spirit of I, I am a good person based off of the scorecard. I am my own good person. I've never robbed a bank. I never, I never oppressed anyone. You know, we, we have these things that put us in, in our place so that we can feel good about ourselves. And sometimes that's even within what we might call the church, that there are people who are churchgoers, and yet they don't need Jesus. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a woman this week, and she's been to every church. Wonderful lady, very sweet lady. But she's been to every church and she's read all of the major texts and done all of these things, and yet Jesus is the missing piece for her. I appreciated that she was honest because she she admitted, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Hey, I appreciate her honesty because a lot of times people say, oh yeah, they give lip service to it. The contented person, the self-righteous person. Now sometimes that's a religious person, Sometimes it's a secular person. I'm, I'm very in on whatever the cause of the day is. I'm, I, I, will, I will retweet or repost or share or whatever the current thing that everybody needs to be mad about is. And I'll let you know how mad I am about whatever the thing that everybody needs to be mad about is, right? We all have a cousin who's like that. All of us do. I hit snooze on my cousin regularly on Facebook. <laughs> And then there's the arrogant person. Again, both the religious and the secular. There are people who who absolutely believe they are on the right side of history, they're on the right side of their own morality, and they're basing everything off of the scorecard, not of God, but of the world around them. What I believe God does when we receive his grace is he gives us a brand new scorecard. I said earlier that I, I used to be in uh, grocery management, and uh, I was manager for a chain of grocery stores up in the Seattle area, and every so often you'd get a new boss, a new district manager, a new store manager when I was running departments or uh, whatever. And it happened the same way every time. Get a new boss. And then for the next month or so, I'm reminding all of my employees, hey, new scorecard. Well, we, we got to do these things. I get that. Those were the five things that the old boss cared about. But the new district manager cares about two of those things, but there's three new things that they care about more. You ever had that at work where you get a new boss, there's a new scorecard? Now that, in, in this analogy, is a negative thing, but I, I think it can be a positive thing too. There's a new scorecard given to us. And what God cares about, what God says is right, what God says is forward progress may not be what the world says is good or forward progress. Now, sometimes it is because, you know, there's what we might call universal truth. There, there, there's universal truth. Like, you know, call your mom on Mother's Day. Everybody knows you should do that, right? It's a, it's a smart thing to do. Pro tip. That's a universal truth. You know, every, every society, at least in lip service, says don't murder, right? That's a universal truth. So sometimes the new scorecard has some of the things from the old scorecard, sure. But God's grace gives us a brand new scorecard by which to see the world. And may I suggest that one of the things that it does is it brings us to a place of humble equality amongst ourselves. It brings us to a place of humble equality amongst ourselves. Why? Well, in verse 24, it says, But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, both the religious and the secular, both the person who is trying to be moral and the person who doesn't know what morality is, God calls both to the same repentance and faith. You grew up in the church like I did. God's calling you to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. You grew up totally lost and in the the deepest, darkest hole. God's calling you to the same repentance, the same faith. And once you realize that, then you realize, hey, we're all in the same boat. It's not good people and bad people. That's the world's scorecard. But there is a good and loving God, and then there's all of us who need the grace of God. When he says the weak, in verse 27, he says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world the shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not. He's talking about us. Sometimes we might think, you know, I know I know we we've all have faith in Jesus and the grace of God, but you know, some of us have really got it figured out. The Apostle Paul is suggesting otherwise. And when I realize that all of us are in the same place, and all of us, compared to the perfection of God, are in desperate need of Jesus, and all of us have been saved by the same sacrifice, and all of us have received the same forgiveness, who am I to think myself better than someone else? Did anybody learn how to use Zoom in the last year? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah, yeah. So, we have a a, a guy in our church, he's a new believer, he's not a young guy. Our, Our two big gospel success stories in the last couple of years, one guy in his 20s and one guy in his 60s, well, the guy in his 60s learned how to use Zoom this year, like a lot of us. We're on a Zoom small group and he can't get his computer to work right or whatever, none of you have had this problem, of course. And in the middle of a, a church prayer small group on Zoom, he dropped an F word. Now, I, I was on mute, and I looked at my wife, and I said, did he just say that? She said, yep. I said, okay. And we moved on. That guy asked some of the best questions during the Bible study, and he prayed some of the most sincere prayers during that prayer time. Now... Would I prefer that he not use that word? Sure. Do I trust that God is going to sanctify that part of his life? Absolutely. But what happens is the religious people, the moralizing people go, oh, I can't believe that. Can you believe what he says? He said that word. And then when it comes time for Bible study, they already know it all, they think. When it comes time to pray, would you would you pray? No, no I, don't, I don't want to pray. I don't want anybody to know that I have needs. I don't want anybody to know that I have fears. I don't want anybody to know that I have doubts. But if I I recognize that I'm under the same grace and mercy that this guy is, and God's getting a hold of his life, and God's changing his heart, and he's just at a different place in his journey, that humble equality starts to settle in. That brand new scorecard starts to take hold. And it's really hard for me to sit and think myself better than somebody else, because I recognize that I've received the same grace that they have, and I was in just as much need of it as they were. Now it might be fair to ask, in verse 29, Paul talks about boasting. Why does he keep talking about boasting? I think it's because God knows that we will boast. We all do it. And some of the biggest lies that we tell are in our boasts. You ever seen that? I mean, it's not just fishermen. They're just the easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. I know, I know, I know. But it's not just fishermen who lie about how big the fish was they caught or whatever, or how big the battle was. You know, I was struggling with that fish for 20 minutes. Four minutes. But people do this all the time. We boast about our accomplishments. I have <clears throat> I'm gonna is it okay if I'm equal opportunity here? I have friends outside of the church who boast about their their own virtue. Call it virtue signaling. And I have friends inside the church who boast about their own virtue just in a different way, about different things. And then we tell lies about ourselves to make ourselves feel better. Instead of recognizing, hey, you know there's a reason why in the Bible it says, search me and know me and show if there is any hidden sin within me? It's because there is. And if I start boasting about myself, then I will use that as a cover, and we will use that as a cover. Here's all these things that God wants to work on in our lives, but because I take this one thing and blow it way out of proportion, I can then try to cover from my own sight those things. God's speaking about boasting because He knows we're going to boast. So if I'm going to boast about anything, if you're going to boast about anything, we need to boast about, do you know how much Jesus has saved me from? Saving me, that's not a word. Saved me from? Do you know how much God has forgiven me? Do you know how much I don't deserve all of the blessings Jesus has put in my life? That's the kind of boasting that's true. That's the kind of boasting that's Accurate. Can I suggest something, too? This is just a suggestion. You can take it or leave it or whatever. But I believe one of the reasons why people are angry in the church is that they're using the wrong scorecard. They're using the wrong scorecard. And they're, they're looking at things and going, can you believe that? I had... Um, one of the guys in our church, and we were, we were meeting, and he was really frustrated at something that um, some of the younger folks in our church were talking about. And, and I was like, okay, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the political equivalent of do you prefer four-way stops or roundabouts? <laughs> By the way, roundabouts are awesome. But I, I did live in England for five years, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. Anyway, he's super frustrated about it. And the reason is that these folks in our church that he's frustrated at have an opinion that he disagrees with, but it's not a biblical uh, disagreement, it's just they just believe something different about some policy than you do. What happens sometimes when we're using the wrong scorecard. I know Christians, in fact, I I have a friend who um, would rather spend time with people who do not believe in Jesus, with people who spread deception, but they agree with him about tax policy, than he would with people who love Jesus, who we're going to spend eternity with, who have a different view than he does on said tax policy. That's, it's ridiculous, right? But that's how we are. And I know Christians who would rather not be around the church because, well, I, I, just, I just can't stand being around those people who, who hold those views or whatever. And it's like, again... Jesus has saved us and if I won't come to church because I think I'm better than the people there then I'm not living in that humble equality of God's new scorecard of grace and if I don't want those people in church for the same reasons I'll stay here but they can go somewhere else then I'm not living in that humble scorecard of God's grace and I'll just start boasting about myself and my own goodness and whatever and I'll lie to myself and everyone else The only scorecard that matters is what God says. The only scorecard that matters is what God says. Verse 30, he says, It is because of him, speaking of Jesus, that you are are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Who has become for us the wisdom from God. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't agree with everything in the Bible. Somebody's writing that down right now. I'm going to email the superintendent. I'm going to let him know. I don't. I don't agree with everything in the Bible. By the way, I'm going to bet that you don't either. But I need to submit myself to it. There are things that trouble me, implications of the gospel that trouble me, but I need to submit myself to it. Jesus has become the wisdom of God. And sometimes the wisdom of God goes against what I would naturally think is right. And there are days where I just say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I'm going to submit myself to it. And Lord, what what this person is saying is challenging to me, but I'd rather be where your people are and live a little uncomfortably than to go back to living under that old scorecard because I know that that's foolishness. He says our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. I, I believe that the righteousness is that new scorecard. When I understand that I'm not... Saved, I'm not accepted by God because of the works that I've done, because of the amount of money I've given, because of the way I have voted, because of the things I have believed. When I understand that, then I accept real righteousness that comes from God. When I understand that, I stop thinking that my own morality is something to boast about, and I understand that I was the sinner that needed Jesus. And then he says our sanctification. Can I let you in on a little secret? Most big words that church people use, you don't need to know. Sorry, but there are two you do need to know. Justification and Sanctification. Justification is what happens when we become Christians. We are justified. We are made right before God. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation from our sins, that is justification. Sanctification is the process by which we are set apart. We are made holy. We are made like Jesus. He says that this is brought about our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Righteousness is getting that new scorecard. Sanctification is actually living by that new scorecard. Sanctification is living by that new scorecard. We can make a choice. We can make a choice to recognize that we're all in the same boat. And I can make a choice to say, I don't know if you noticed this. But in the before times, long ago in 2019, Christians and churches had all kinds of reason to be divided. I don't know if you noticed that. And Christians and churches and even families, you know, they were dividing along lines of age. There's young churches and there's old churches, they're dividing along terms lines of politics, they're dividing along the lines of, of uh, cultural preference, they're di- dividing lo- along the lines of American League or National League. No? Just, just, my, just my… Okay. <laughs> Pastor Matt is so wrong about that, by the way. Anyway, he's right about a lot of things, but he's so wrong about the designated hitter. It's awesome. The point is, in the before times, we had all kinds of reasons to divide. And then 2020 happened, and we got all kinds of new reasons to add to the list. Are you a masked church or an unmasked church? And then the unmasked church put up Facebook ads saying, hey, come on over here. And then sometimes the masked churches will put up other Facebook ads like, we're being safe, unlike some of those guys, right? We're finding all kinds of reasons to divide. Instead of finding all kinds of reasons to say, what did Jesus do? He brought together Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the political zealot. What did Jesus do? The church was full of old and young. What did Jesus do? When you read the lists of people in the church in the book of Acts, there were people from all over, all different cultures, all different experiences. Now, let's admit that in Oregon City, and where I'm at down in Milwaukee Oak Grove area, it's not super easy to be multicultural. Let's just admit that. But you can make the choice to say, if and when will we be ready? If and when we'll be re- we, will we be ready? My neighborhood is gonna change really quick. It's already starting to. And that's something we talk about at our church. Okay, fine. We know that 90% of the people that live in our neighborhood are white, so we're not going to be a multicultural church. But what happens if in a five-year period there's a massive shifting in who owns the homes around here? We'll be re- will we be ready for that? And if I'm living in the sanctification of God, and if I'm living in the humble equality that the g- grace of God brings then won't that bring me to a place of not thinking myself better than the person next to me? Won't that bring me to a place of wanting to live in peace and fellowship with the other people who love Jesus too? I'm just assuming you're saying amen to that in your hearts. (laughs) And then he says redemption. And he says redemption to be bought back from this world of darkness. All of us, all of us were born enslaved to sin. All of us were born in the same darkness. The prison cell might have looked a little different. The chains might have been a little different shape, but they were all there. I'm going to make a suggestion, you can just take it or leave it. You can pray about it. But there's a lot of people who go to church every Sunday, every Sunday, But they're still using the same scorecard as the world. It's like the lady I I got to share Jesus with this last week who has been to every kind of church, and yet Jesus as her Lord and Savior is still the missing piece in her life. That I can come and I can think myself doing all right, and you never know. There are people who come for all kinds of reasons. I want to get my kids some religious exposure. It makes the person I'm sitting next to happy that I'm going. It's just what I've always done. But Jesus is still that missing piece. I'm living on a different scorecard than the scorecard of the grace of God. It's also possible that I have experienced the grace of God. I remember talking to somebody several years ago, and they've been a Christian for a long time. And we were having coffee, we're talking, and they're sharing all these stories of God working in their life, and I realized that none of those stories took place after maybe 1984. It's possible that we've received saving faith, we've come under the grace of God, but we haven't been living in the grace of God for a long time, that we, we can't say, if we're just honest. For we're self-reflective, we, we, we sit and we say, hey, you know what, can I talk about how God's grace has worked in my life this year, let alone this week? And so I think there is always an opportunity for Christians to come fresh under the work of God's grace. And maybe you've thought yourself better than somebody else. Maybe you're the young person going, oh, these, "All these old people at our church don't know what they're doing. It's not like 50 years of life experience over me has any kind of bearing in this. Or maybe you're the older person. that's like, what are these young punks doing? That young preacher up there. You know who doesn't think I'm a young person? Young people. No young person in this church thinks Pastor Ed is young. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I just want to make that clear. You're sitting around going, oh, I don't know. Can you believe how that... I, I bet they voted for Bernie. I'm, I can't even believe they're here. Somebody else is going, why didn't you? I'm just going to go to the church where I think they all voted for Bernie, but they, none of them voted anyway. The grace of God happens once and then happens continually. Somebody asked me this week about forgiveness. They said, how do you forgive somebody? And I said, you know, there's, forgiveness isn't just one time or isn't just continual, it's both. And there are people and times and situations where forgiveness is once and then forgiveness is continual. That God has forgiven all of our sins. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was once and for all. We do not need to continually come back. Oh, I want to make sure I'm still going to heaven. No, Jesus has forgiven all of your sins and he really does like you. But then something creeps up. And something's not right in my life. And I need the continual work of forgiveness of grace so that God can bring me to a place of victory on the true scorecard of this life, which is God's truth, God's wisdom. So I don't know what you guys call the time after the sermon you can come on up, but, but whatever you guys call it, we call it our response time at Faith on Hill. And the idea is that God has been speaking to us. God can even use me to speak to people. Or maybe you just heard the word of God and it spoke to you, or the Holy Spirit spoke to you, but God has been speaking to us. And this is a time and a moment to respond. And you can respond, we, we, we usually say this, and I'm just going to make it like my church because I know what I'm doing there. We usually say we respond in three different ways. We respond through worship, that when the church gathers together and declares the praise of God through song, something something important happens. We respond through prayer. And if you just need to say to the person next to you, can you pray with me? Can you have that humble equality to say I'm not any better than anybody else and I can let somebody know I need prayer? And we respond through our strength, and sometimes that means giving, sometimes that means saying, you know what, I know there's this thing this week God's needed, been asking me to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm needing the strength from God to prepare me to do it. But however it is that God has been speaking to you, maybe it's speaking rejoicing, maybe it's speaking repentance, however it is God has been speaking to you, this is the moment to respond, this is the time to respond. So let's respond in worship and prayer together, and, and let's put our eyes on Jesus.